Today is Sunday, August 6th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 531 features former ESPN fantasy basketball superhero Seth Landman. And I'm Evan Valenti, and today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston, pick a Super Bowl winner, and get bonus bets every time that team wins. Thank God you said your name this time. I hate working with strangers. I know. That went over well. So maybe we'll we'll keep this in too. All right, everybody, what's up? Welcome to August. First Celtics beat of the month. And I guess uh, that puts us in position to say we are, what, uh, not, not a month exactly, but next month is training camp, right? Next month, we get into preseason games. Regular season's right around the corner. That's going to be in October. We don't have the official schedule out yet, but it should happen in the next, I don't know, week, two weeks. We'll, we'll find out exactly when Boston opens up. And this right here, there, there, there are a few things. There are a few things with this particular episode. And uh, Evan Valenti's here, Adam Kaufman, of course. Seth Landman, welcome back. How are you, buddy? Yo, good. So it's like this, to talk I, about the seas. Well, and I was thinking, Ev, we, you know, we've we've had a, a great rotation of people on lately. Obviously, people that are that are on the beat, or columnists, or national people, or whatever. But but we haven't sort of pulled back and done, you know, kind of one of these more fan centric shows in a while. I thought this was a uh, a good opportunity to do that. Before we even jump in, though, you may have noticed. I I don't know about visually if how obvious it is but if you are listening to the audio you may have noticed i i have i haven't even told you this i'm i'm on like day three here of the invisalign treatment oh so so i've got the uh, i've got i've got the trays in right now and when i when i talk slower not obvious at all when i start to like really move uh then 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 that's when i've got an aggressive lisp that starts to uh show up so that's going to happen at some point during the show. I appreciate everybody's patience with me. I know you might be out there listening and thinking, uh, cough, if it's bugging you that much, why, why don't you take it out for the show and then put it? Well, because I am trying to motor through this thing as quickly as humanly possible. And so in doing that, you're supposed to, I'm sure people out there listening have, have you know, there are probably people out there doing Invisalign right now. And however many that have done it before, and and this is this is strictly to the Invisalign community. This is not to the <laughs> oh I had braces community. I never had braces, and this is like the teeth karma gods coming back for all those years of like boasting about how I you know like never needed braces. Well, with a vengeance, it has caught up with me here. And so you're supposed to wear these things roughly twenty two out of twenty four hours a day. And, uh, I mean, obviously like give or take, like if it's that big a deal, you know, it's just like if, if you do it 20 hours a day, as opposed to 22, you're just going to be wearing it that much longer. I don't want to do that. I, I want to, <laughs> you know, so I, so I'm going to battle through, I'm going to, I'm going to broadcast through this thing, if you will, uh, at least, uh, at least while I can handle it. Heroes, uh, if, they walk they, among us. Not, not all heroes wear capes guys. The, <laughs> you know, and, and, and if anyone is thinking about doing Invisalign, by the way, Two more pain, you know. It's all if, if like if you're if you're teetering, if you're if you're you know like people, the dentist has brought it up to you, and I I don't know if I want to go through the process. Like never mind the 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 monetary part. Like put that out the window. I'm just talking about the actual treatment. Uh, I can tell you only like three days in, 
the treatment itself is is really not bad. Like you you get as as much as I was questioning so many things in my life on day one. After a few after a few days, like the the trays, not bad. Like you get used to it. Here's what I don't think, guys. I will ever get used to. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a big snacker. I'm mm. a big snacker, and you can't snack without taking these things. You can't eat with these things, obviously. So I'm. I've I've become like a three meal a day guy. Oh my god! <laughs> because I because when they're not in, I have to go hours on end not eating. Which again, like that's plenty of people do that, but that's not my reality. So this this right here, Ev, this is an adjustment for my unhealthy eating lifestyle. File in for you, currently. I get thank you. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Can, what what can we do for you in this time of need? <laughs> Uh, I, I guess, uh, talks Celtics. I, okay. I, guess that's, I guess that's what I'm looking for from you guys. Oh, shot two free throws with a ruptured Achilles and you're doing <laughs> gas with a Visalign in. I mean, who is to say? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it, and he hit a ball. It depends on the day, right? Depends yeah. on the day. I mean, I mean, look, it sure does. Isaiah Thomas also, you know, <laughs> spent a whole morning in the dentist chair and then played a game that night again same thing same thing obviously bunch of heroes bunch of heroes all right so no i i like that we're doing this show right now here in early august because uh obviously on because on we get to talk show, about invisalign because <laughs> <laughs> it times so perfectly with my invisalign treatment uh, <laughs> uh no, because like the Jalen Brown extension is finally done. We've obviously had uh, it, one, multiple, I don't even remember at this point, shows to talk about it, Evan. Uh, and that's sort of like the next thing, and we talked about this our last show with Chris Forsberg, was you know it, it, now people are starting to have the Derek White extension conversation. There's not really anything else out there Celtics news-wise. Like for people like me that keep banging the drum that, I don't think they're done yet. I don't think they're done yet. I'm waiting for that next shoe to drop. I'm not sure the next shoe is going to drop short of obviously <laughs> like, you know, like re-signing Blake Griffin or something like that. And I know they, you know, the Celtics have been attached to uh, the Pistons guy. How do I pronounce this guy's name? Svi Mikhailik. Thank you. They've been attached to him. Maybe that's something that ends up happening. But right now this it's a good reset period for this show because for all intents and purposes, guys, like this is the roster, you know, no pr- barring something significant. And of course, like the, there are reports that like the Celtics are still kind of working the phones and shopping around. Maybe we get that big August trade, a la, you know, like the Kyrie Irving swap happened in August. Maybe there'll be some big August trade. Assuming that doesn't happen at this point, you know, th- this is the group. This is the core. Chris Daps Porzingis, Seth, is a member of this team. We have not had you on this show since obviously that went down we've talked plenty but not on this show marcus smart is gone grant williams is gone everything else is generally intact how are we feeling about this roster as compared to last year and what major questions do you have going forward oh man well can we first can we have a fair and balanced conversation about chris porzingis yeah okay (laughs) no because like i want to talk about there's like a twitter guy there's like a kind of twitter guy these days who is like, okay, what this what this kind of person is doing is like taking video highlight videos of Porzingis from last year in Washington with the Wizards mm. and acting like this is like the Rosetta Stone to understanding the entire career of this person. And I just want to like um 
Okay, Kristaps Porzingis is a really good basketball player. Okay. He also is like... Was it hard for you to admit that? No, it's not hard for me to admit that at all. Okay. I don't think... Um, I think what's going on is that uh, when it's convenient, people want to look at the previous season and say that like improvement is linear. Whatever you did last season, you should be able to replicate that the subsequent season. But this guy has not been a good player for like most of the last four years. He had a really good year last year. And I think what's going on is that he's a player who we, everyone talks about how he misses a lot of time. Like he's injury prone. He misses games. I think the bigger concern is that when he's hurt and he does play, he's ineffective. And so not only are you missing some games, but, but like part of the reason that he wasn't as effective in Dallas as he was last year in Washington is that he wasn't healthy. And so what that affects is like, is all, are all the things that the Celtics are ostensibly bringing him in to do. So they've talked a lot about like uh, beating mismatch mismatches in the post. So scoring out of the post, he was great out of the post last year. I looked up, he shot 61% on post-ups last year. The previous three seasons, it's 46%, 50%, 42%. He's not like, this is not a player who has traditionally been a good post-up player. He had a really good year last year doing it. Um, the the rim protection. So like last year, uh, opponents shot fifty three point five percent within six feet of the hoop when he was the primary defender. The previous two seasons, it was up at fifty seven percent, which isn't good. So he yes, he was a good rim protector last year. He's still not nearly the rim protector he was early in his career. And for the previous two seasons, when Dallas brought him in to do that job on a team that had real ambitions. He struggled to do that. So I, this is not to say, like, I don't even know what to predict for next year. Like, if he's healthy, I think he'll be really good. I think I think um, there's there's good reasons to believe he could replicate some of what he did last year. But it's, it's totally fair to wonder about um, whether last year was a fluke. And, and I think a, a good comparison point would be, like, a player like Julius Randle, who has made, made all NBA teams two of the last three years, but is sandwiched in between those two seasons is a season where he was terrible. And I think, you know, a lot of players who aren't, you know, like the top 10 players in the league are going to have years where they're better than other years, depending on how healthy they are or what system they're in. And so I don't know that like when, when it comes to Porzingis, I feel like I think the Celtics have a lot of eggs in that basket, especially with the, the two years they added on to his deal. Um, I think, I think they're paying him fair market rate. I just, it's not the gamble I would choose to make if I was running a team. Um, and, and I think the, uh, I'd rather like run it back with smart and Grant Williams, or if you're going to do that smart trade, take all the assets that they could have got instead. So do you believe they're worse? Um, so on paper, are we saying that Porzingis, like how many games are you giving Porzingis on paper? Well, I mean, you're. Uh, if I give him 50 five. games, I think like 50 out of 80. If I give him 55 games, let's say he plays two thirds of the games. I think they probably win right around the same number of games they won last year. I, I don't I don't think they're meaningfully worse or better. I just I think 
I think they have like a, a more likely downside than they did last year. Um, but I think, you know, if everything goes right, they're just as good a team as they were. I'm going to ask you to do what the Celtics front office had to do when considering whether or not to make this trade. Mm-hmm. Put yourself inside, you know, Brad Stevens head, Mike Zarin's head, Austin Ainge's head, whoever else. And project, you know, we don't know. We're not going to know until we actually see it, but we are projecting. Mm-hmm. Looking back on, you know, he's he's bounced around a little bit, but let's forget New York. Let's forget Dallas. Just last year in Washington, specifically, let's okay. say that was some sort of a turning point. He's entering his prime years age-wise. All that good stuff that people like to reflect upon. David Aldridge, you know, who watched him very closely there, was on this show and talked about how, in his mind, Porzingis is your perfect third star, which obviously is what the Celtics are asking him to be. How do you believe he fits into this system and what the Celtics are going to want from him? Yeah, I think um, so once what I think is that once it became clear that Derek White needed to play more, I think at some point last year it became clear Derek White was the best guard on this team. And once you acknowledge that, you have to acknowledge something we saw in the playoffs, which is that Derek White is not as good at Marcus Smart as Marcus Smart at guarding up. And so I think if you have more lineups with Derek White on the floor and a higher percentage of minutes with Derek White on the floor, you're sort of already conceding that you probably can't switch on defense quite as much as you were switching before, that it, it's going to make sense to play more standard coverages. So once you decide that, I think there's some reasons to try to get bigger. Um, Porzingis is is really good in the drop. In fact, it's probably the only defense he's comfortable playing. Like he's not someone that's going to be out on the perimeter checking guys and staying with like water bug guards on the perimeter. Um, you want him around the rim, and hopefully, if he's healthy, when he's been healthy in his career, he's done a pretty good job protecting the rim. So I think in that sense. Um, it's, it's like, a, it's, it's fair to those two things go together more Derek white, uh, less switching Porzingis makes sense in that scheme. I, I think all those pieces do kind of fit. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'll push back on the idea that they might not be better. I mean, I think their ceilings higher and if they just stay healthier, they're they're I think they're better on paper. We'll see how things gel. You know, you get nervous when you add a big piece like that to an already established team. Like one of the things that we've talked about endlessly on the show is one of the reasons why Boston's been so successful over the past, you know, what feels like decade. But, you know, since the Jays have come into town, is just the continuity of this team. I mean, Brad Stevens is still there. Uh, the Jays have been a part of everything, essentially. Like Marcus, you know, shipping out. Marcus is tough because he's been there longer than everybody else. And now... Jalen Brown's the longest tenured Celtic on this team, right? Is that is that true if you take away the Horford going to Philly for a while? Wow. Yeah. So it's it's the continuity of this team is is been changed a little bit. But I think what's gonna be helpful for Porzingis is there's gonna be like an established hierarchy area in here. And I've sort of bounced around this idea that Porzingis wasn't brought in to be a three, he was actually brought in to be a two in terms of the hierarchy of scoring. I think asking Jalen to you know, be the primary offensive focal point in an offense. We've kind of seen that a little bit and everybody's going to be like, well, his contract says he's supposed like, I don't care about that. I think Porzingis is a, is someone that takes over an offense a little bit easier than Jalen does just because of his size. And he's just an incredibly good shooter. I mean, some, some people have gone out of the way to say like, 
he's a seven three shooting guard and sometimes he looks like one for sure, you know, but other times, you know, when he's in the post, he has that length to shoot over guys. Um, but like for me, like this Porzingis thing, it's going to be a rocky sort of road, I think, for the first couple of months to try and figure out how this whole team fits together. You're really, it's not like you're adding some outlier piece, you know, like you're not adding like a James Posey or an Eddie House to, to make this, and Posey had obviously a little bit more of a role than, than Eddie House did, and we all love Eddie House on the show. But it's, you're adding a major piece here. So like, I think the, I think it's reasonable to expect, you know, sort that like the same thing that we saw the first year with Ime where the team was absolutely atrocious for the first four months of the year. Then all of a sudden the calendar hit February and everything just went like this and, and they had the best defense in the league for three months. And, and if Rob didn't get hurt, maybe they're NBA finals, you know, champions, but. I, I, my expectation, Seth, is this is going to have some growing pains to it when we really start, unless like we have some unreal synergy here that we didn't tap into a while back. I think it's going to be a little bumpy. I mean, there's such a good, like, even if Porzingis didn't play a game this year, they're like an incredibly good basketball team that's going to win a lot of regular season games. I mean, that's just like that. The, they got the Jays. They have enough good players to win like a ton of regular season games, basically no matter what happens. Um, I I guess I, I, I don't know. It'll be, it's hard to like agree or disagree about the higher ceiling thing. I think to me, it looks like a team with a lower ceiling because of the, because of less defensive versatility. But I think it's fair to imagine a world where there's so much better on offense that it covers up for that. At the same time, I am like, it's hard not to worry about the, the, um, like how the ball is going to move and just like team passing IQ kind of, this is like, you know, losing smart, like replacing smart and Grant Williams with Porzingis is like, is a pretty drastic um, downgrade and overall like ball movement IQ, I think. Um, And I'm, I'm pretty concerned about like the only guard on the team that you can really rely on to set up an offense at this point, I think is white. Um, I think Pritchard and Brogdon are much better suited to attacking off the second side or, or like using an advantage that someone else has already created. So it, it really, what it's going to come down to is the Jays. And I think that's in some ways, the most interesting piece of losing smart is what happens to the sort of like leadership vacuum on this team. And are the Jays, is there some sort of like mystical thing that gets better because the Jays have like more sort of interpersonal responsibilities suddenly do they, or, and maybe Jalen's contract is part of this too. Does like, does that stability allow them to sort of like more freely move the ball? Because that to me is the biggest question about this team. If those two guys just like openly and freely move the ball, they're going to be the offense is going to be what it was in the early days of last season. And they're going to be a really, really hard team to beat, but we see what happens when they get bogged down. Um, the last few months of the season, the playoffs, um, it, it affects the defense. It, they're, they're just not as good a team when it's like that. Bet in mind as they have these, however many it is at this point, three or four roster spots at the very end, obviously mm. at the bench of, of either, 
you know, someone maybe they sign out of who was with them in summer league, or maybe it's a G league guy, or maybe it's a, you know, one of these stash guys overseas, or maybe it's, you know, obviously veteran minimum guys across the board. I have no idea what's missing to you from this roster. And not even in terms of like, Oh, I want them to go get this specific player. Although if you have a, a guy in mind, by all means, but you know, just the skill set. what, what is something you feel like they need to go out and get? I think what's missing is is connectors, um, like players who actually the thing they brought in Derek White to do originally, which is part of what they liked about him. It's almost a cliche to talk about it at this point, but coming from San uh, from San Antonio, he had the whole like point five thing that they always talk about with just making really 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 fast decisions with the ball, um, and sometimes without the ball. I mean, he makes really really heady cuts. Um, all those things just keep an offense moving. And one of the things I worry about with losing smart is like, it may seem counterintuitive because the conversation around smart was always that he was like doing almost doing too much on offense, but it's hard. Like think about all the possessions he, that smart bailed them out of with shots and post-ups and, um, just being able to run a pick and roll and see over the defense and make good passes. Um, they don't really. But beyond the Jays, there's just less of that. There's less of um, the kinds of players who create advantages out of nothing. Um, and so that's my biggest concern. So I, I would love to like trade, like I, replacing Brogdon with a more natural point guard, someone who's like a little more like heads up with the ball, um, a little more like able to create an advantage without already having one. Um, or, and then, or just like passing IQ. So I think about like, um, I mean, last year, I think I talked about like Joe Ingles, who, who isn't a player you really want, but I mean, the problem is anyone you bring in has to be able to crack the rotation. Um, the one name, the one specific name I would mention, I don't think OKC will ever trade him, but, um, oh, now I'm forgetting his name, but Kenny Huss, uh, Ken, Kenrich Williams, um, he fits into the traded player exception that the Celtics still have. And he's a player I've just always wanted them to get. Cause he, he just like does a bunch of things at like a B plus level and, and makes like really smart, fast decisions with the ball. But the, I think this team has everything it needs to win the championship already on the roster, but it comes down to the ability of the Jays to make quicker decisions with the ball. Like the ideal thing is that they become those guys. Yeah, it would be ideal. I think, again, I think this offense is going to change a little bit fundamentally, you know, with, with Porzingis and, and, you know, the, the hope that the Jays keep on growing and adding new things to their arsenal. Like, I think we're all waiting for Jason Tatum to be a better post up player. You know, I think everybody's yeah. thought it. We're all kind of revolving around it and, and what damage he could do as a, as a really good post player. That's kind of like the next thing in this game. Um, Rob, for that matter, a better three point percentage while maintaining. You know, a better free throw rate going to the line a lot more. I mean, that was the one big jump we saw was, you know, Jason Tatum's free throw attempts went through the roof trying to mm-hmm. maintain that. And maybe he can maintain that by occupying more time in the block. Like, I don't know if it's an idea, just a thought. Um, but you know, it's, 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 and you know, with the addition of Porzingis too, this offense is going to change a lot. You know, it's, it's, the spacing is going to be different. And this is quite, I, I've, I've talked about this sort of throughout the summer. This is going to be a really hard job for Joe Missoula and that coaching staff to like have what they had last year and be like, all right, so remember last year, we're going to, we're going to change this up. 
dramatically maybe. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. But, like, the fact that they have two other guys on that coaching staff that have a clue. And I'm not trying to downplay everybody else that was on. It just wasn't a great fit for everybody. But having two veteran guys to maybe help Missoula out a little bit, I think it's going to be a ginormous, ginormous part of this team. And, you know, I, I'm excited to see what it looks like because I, I want to see the next step of Jason Tatum. I've been advocating for Point Tatum for now three years here at this point or two years in a row now because I think, you know, with him having the ball in his hands and making more decisions, I just trust him more than pretty much anybody else I named Derek White in this team at this point now. Like, I, I just think after, like, when you get rid of Marcus Smart, I agree with Seth on this, when you get rid of Marcus Smart, you get rid of a guy that just has a good idea of where everybody is at all times and, and has an idea of how to bail them out of situations, that's going to fall on Tatum now. And it's going to fall on, on Jalen too, but Tatum's going to take the brunt of that a lot more than anybody else. And, again, I, as much as everybody else is, like, more Derek White's good for business, more Jason Tatum having the ball and him learning how to move the ball is good for business. And if they're really – like, I have I asked this to several guys so far this summer, Kaufman, do, does Jason Tatum have a Nikola Jokic type run in him at any point in his career where he's just like, you don't have an answer for him because Jokic is not going anywhere. Okay. And there's going to be other guys that come in this league with all the young guys that are coming up that are just going to become bigger problems. So can my, my theory on can Jason Tatum be uh, a, a really tough problem to solve? that only happens if he takes a leap as a playmaker and that only happens if he does it more. And so that's what has me the most excited. I think I, I want to add a little texture to that. Cause I, I like agree a hundred percent with what you're saying, but I, I think it's actually that that playmaking it means getting off the ball. That's the, the thing that's such so genius about Jokic is that he gets rid of it. Like, um, and that's like, that's where Tatum struggles. Um, you know, like the, with with I, I I don't remember what the numbers ended up being, but at some point late last season, Tatum was shooting forty percent on catch and shoot threes and twenty eight percent off the dribble. So like all the conversation around the Celtics this summer has been about like Joe wants them to shoot a lot of threes, and it's like when we when we focus on how many threes they shoot per game, we're missing the point of like wh- what are those threes? Are those threes off the dribble? Are, the, are they like really good wide open catch and shoot looks? Um, are they coming at like um, with like some time left on the shot clock and, and it's like a really good look that a player wants to take? Or is it like a step back at the end of the shot clock that a player is reluctant to take? Um, those things matter a lot. And I, lo- I like what you were saying about getting Tatum in the post. Part of what I like about him in the post so much is that it gets him off the ball. Like he's got to get rid of it to go get down into the post and then he gets it back. And suddenly he's like at he's what is he? Six ten? Maybe like, it feels like he might even be bigger than that at this point, but he, he part of what makes him dangerous down there is that he can see over the defense. All the passes get way easier from there. You can read the double teams. Um, I would like, you know, Jokic um, because he's so willing to like do other parts of the game besides like relying on the three he has all these different options available to him um, when he catches the ball at the elbow or wherever the offense can kind of like swirl around him. And he, but, but where his real power is, is in getting rid of it, moving without it, getting it back in a better place. And that's the stuff like Tatum. I do think Tatum has that in him to be like that big of a problem, 
but I think you get there by by like giving up control actually. You guys like letting like let spot. let your teammates what? do the work. That Curry quote that went viral today. No, what was it? It's uh he's doing his basketball camp and he's speaking to a bunch of campers and he goes, The last thing I ever want to see any of you do is sit in the perimeter and demand the ball. Because that is the last line of defense. I would rather say you do literally anything else on a basketball floor than to sit there and just have your hands out. Like don't ever do yep. that ever. And I was like, I hope hope so many people are listening to this because my goodness, he's so right. Like move, like cut, like set a screen, like do this, do that, like post up, do something. I'm just standing there in the perimeter, like I got it. Like throw me the ball. It's just bad. So well, and and to in in Porzingis's defense, like obviously I'm down on the idea of trading for Porzingis, but and I think like you know people act like the Jays are going to make his life easier. He played with Luka Doncic, who's a player who generally makes life pretty easy for people. But having said that, Luka does control like basically everything and and that is a team that's built around the idea of like having guys like dorian finney smith or whoever standing out on the perimeter with their like you know waiting for the ball without moving um so you know maybe it's if the the best version of the celtics is going to get things moving in a way that's going to get porzingis into spots where he can do more damage so yeah well, as we're aware, when the Celtics traded for Chris Tapps, Porzingis, even dealing out Marcus Smart, they quickly vaulted from among the favorites to win the championship to the favorite to win the championship. Ev, this is uh, it, it, it's a good moment to to take a little time and appreciate our great betting sponsor here. That there will be a quiz at the end of the show. When are we going to get one phone number for all these uh, gambling helplines? So, look. Different numbers in different states. I know. To track it all. But hey, it is right. Like I feel like I'm like traveling around the country when I listen to all this. <laughs> so, on in the spirit of betting, you know the the team, the Celtics, leapfrogged, uh, if you will, into that top spot as as the betting favorite. Might even be the co-favorite right now. Denver, a team, yeah, near and dear to your heart. Nuggets obviously just won the championship with relative ease in general, not just against Miami, but like all the way through. They lost four um, games in the yeah, playoffs. I mean, it was it, it was crazy, and they're they're a joy to watch. Obviously, Nikola Jokic is is absolutely incredible. I would wonder if they took a bit of a step back without Bruce Brown. Obviously, he was a very important player for uh for that team and and he you know i thought he was gonna stay i really did but he you know i can't blame a guy for cashing in so uh he went and did that he's got his ring who do you think east or west Mm -hmm. if you want to boil it down to the east that's fine but either you know across the league who are the celtics biggest threats in your mind to win the championship i i still think denver should be like monstrous favorites to win the title i uh, they have i i just think First overall, uh, even above Boston. Oh yeah, that team is like that team's nails. They're not going anywhere. That that guy, Jokic, 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 yeah, Jokic is a major problem. <laughs> that guy is not going anywhere. Um, but you know, so like, uh, I I agree with you about Bruce Brown. I think he's a fantastic player. I think he was a perfect fit there. I like. I think it was a. Ge- I think his agent was a genius for getting him there in the first place. Like. Oh, I, I shouldn't say that. Maybe it was Bruce Brown who knew that it was a great idea, but um, that's just like the perfect place for him to play. I think he's in a good situation for himself still in Indiana. That's not the question you asked me, but um, 
yeah, I I think Denver should be like heavy, heavy favorites. Um, and then after that, I think it's the Celtics and the Bucks. Um, I would have those teams like pretty close in terms of like championship equity to each other. I think, um, I think the the Bucks are probably a pretty good bet right now, to be honest. Like the way they went out last year, um, Giannis getting hurt in that first round, Miami kind of catching lightning in a bottle. I I I still think the Bucks are like a really really solid team. Um, I think Malik Beasley is going to help them a lot. Um. And then in the West, the West is like very, very confusing to me. Um, but, but yeah, to me, it's, it's Denver and everybody else. I, I, I don't really see another team. I, like, I, I, I'm not buying all the Lakers smoke. Phoenix. I want to see how it works. I want to see what it looks like because that's just Phoenix would be the one and a lot of just filler. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I do think Bradley Beal has become like wildly underrated um, in a way that uh, confuses me a little bit. That guy's really good. Um, and I think they did that. They did better than anybody else filling out the roster on the, with the minimum contracts. Um, but I just, the, the value, you know, like NBA history is littered with teams that win multiple championships. There's not a lot of one-offs. It's it's like it's not really the way things work, mm-hmm. um, and I Don't think the 08 Celtics that no, I mean of course there are, there's always going to be examples to the contrary. Yeah. There's the 04 Pistons, there's the 08 Celtics. There's always examples like that, um, and and actually different teams have been winning uh, in recent years, yeah. most years. Um, but when a team when a team like when the obvious best player in the league wins the title. And his team just like, they just know what they're doing. That is a team that just has like no questions about what kind of basketball they want to play. And I would be, I'm, I'm particularly terrified of them for the way they, um, the defense they played in the last couple rounds of the playoffs. They, they played defense like way above the level of their individual defensive talent in a way that makes me feel like. Those guys are not losing a playoff series for a while if they're healthy. So, you know, injuries can always happen. They have guys who are as well as anybody. Yeah. They have guys who are injured. I mean, yeah. They, they might be on their third title already if, uh, if Murray and Porter hadn't got hurt a couple of years ago. So, yeah. um, but I, yeah, to me, it's like not even close. They're the far and away the favorite. So I, I like that you brought up the, they're a team that knows how they want to play because yeah. that takes me back to the Celtics. And I wonder, and this is not an intentional indictment of Joe Missoula and the revamped coaching staff. It's more just, you know, this is a team that's undergone some changes. Mm-hmm. You know, leadership at the top, Brad taking over for Danny, Joe coming in when he wasn't, you know, lined up to come in, obviously. And, you know, they've made changes around him, bringing in veteran additions, Sam Cassell, Charles Lee. And obviously it's no small thing as everybody knows swapping out your longest tenured former defensive player of the year player and Marcus smart and bring in Chris Porzingis, who we talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this team does know how it's going to play because there are obviously the questions about the offense and how are they going to adjust? Will they go to the double big obviously? And how will they, you know, how, how will that filter down? How, are, are they going to be as reliant on the three as ever before? And we've also had guys on that team 
say just during this offseason even that we got to get back to our identity and our identity is defense and that's what made us so successful the year before and we need to you know have more of a balance and that you know i i wonder what this looks like when they get going here and if they do not i don't want to present this as though they had a bad defense last year they didn't you know they they had bad moments for sure second uh, best the, defense in the league though yeah i mean let them down in the playoffs in yeah. you know time and time again for sure but i wonder when we really get into it here, what this thing looks like and, and what you can always tell which side is, is a bit more of a priority. Two years ago under Eme, it was defense last year under Joe, it was offense. What is it this time? I mean, I think it has to be uh, the defense played. I mean, like to me, they did not lose because they didn't play defense. They lost because their offense gets bogged down. um, When, when the when the chips are down, when things are hard, they don't play the way they play. Like the way this team plays, the way this team is designed to play is the way they played for the first couple months of last season. The ball's flying around. All those threes that like that when they're not wide open looks, we start complaining about all the threes, right? But like when they're when they're all going in because they're all wide open, there's not like a lot to complain about there. Um, so I to me. I think, first of all, I think Missoula was like, I think any coach who took over the Celtics last year would have looked at what they did the year before and how they lost in the playoffs and said, we have to fix this offense. This is a terrible half court offense that needs fixing. The Celtics spent last year having basically the best half court offense in the NBA. I mean, I think like, I think a lot of the things, um, I, I think they, they carved out a way of playing that works the majority of the time. When it doesn't work for the Celtics is when they're under pressure. And that to me is an emotional problem and not like a strategy problem. And so I think it's been three coaches in three years. Um, And I think in all of those years, this is like anecdotal, but me as someone who watches all the Celtics games and like sees this team on the highs and the lows, what I notice is a team that, um, has moments where they play this like beautiful, sublime basketball that makes me so excited. And then for reasons I can't really understand, they just stop doing it. And when I say Denver knows who they are, they don't have those moments. They don't have those moments because Jokic doesn't let them have those moments. He, he just plays the way I think the, the phrase Michael Malone used is that he doesn't fight the game. That's kind of become the cliche with them, but I think, I think it's kind of true. Like, um, if if you play differently when there's pressure, that that doesn't really serve you. You have to keep playing your game. So that to me is the biggest question with them. Like, what can they keep moving the ball when things suck? <laughs> like when the other team is playing great defense and it's hard and you miss a bunch of shots. Like, will you keep doing the things that made you like overall have a successful half court defense over the course of the regular season? I mean, half-court offense. The thing that makes it so – I don't know if, if you agree with this, Ev, too, and, and Seth, I'm, I'm sure you do. But the, the thing that impresses me so much about Nikola Jokic and why I think that he is still somehow remarkably underrated by, you know, the general NBA-watching public is – and I, I don't think I'm exaggerating in saying this. In the last year – two years and I'm not going to pretend I you know I'm watching every Nuggets game on League Pass but Seth you're watching most of them so you know by all means correct me here I don't think I've ever seen the guy play a bad game 
ever because like there are games that he doesn't shoot as well there are games that he doesn't facilitate as well there are games he doesn't rebound as well there are games he doesn't score as many but he is always over you know compensating for whatever he's not doing that given night by impacting the game in another way in a very very overwhelmingly positive way to where when you average it all out he's just a statistical monster but it i I just i don't he is not a guy that like that's why i was so certain the nuggets were going to win the title at least over miami and i think they would have beaten boston too i've said that on the show before but why i was so certain they were going to beat the heat relatively easily was because this is a guy i i've never seen him afraid of the moment ever he's he's just he the great ones can impact a basketball game in many different ways and it's so easy to watch Jokic do it it's like and that's what was so painful about the rest of the nba fandom like catching up to how awesome Jokic is it's like guys this has been again this should have been the third straight mvp like mm-hmm. he I'm great. Like this is this is like this has been happening for a while now. But it's like the vision. Like he's just like the most fun player to watch. Like not named Steph Curry, and like Curry's more fun to watch because he takes forty footers. Like he just does things that nobody else really has done before. You know, yeah. Jokic does like is so different than what we what we've become used to in terms of like people taking over games by. You know, taking the air out of the ball, going one on one against a defender. No, Jokic does stuff that just benefits everybody as a whole. And whether if he shoots it, it's probably because it's, he's supposed to. But a lot of times, he's looking to create for other. How do I make my, the, the game easier for everybody else around me? And that's clearly his mindset. And it's so fun to watch someone play that way. Like LeBron plays that way. Jokic plays that way. Um, Curry. Curry, yeah, Curry plays that way. It's harder for him because he's not as big. Like, the thing about Jokic is he's so big. It's so hard to wrap your mind around, like, a point guard being seven foot two or whatever he is. Like, it's just, he's, he they, is, and, and, like, again, like, he's just going to be a problem for a long time because, like, it's not like he's going anywhere. Like, that guy's going to be good. Like, he's an MVP candidate every single year he steps on the floor. The, the downstream effects of the way he plays are interesting too. This is like what, this is what I dream of for the Celtics is like, is, is, um, the thing about playing with a passer like that is it makes you cut differently. It makes you, it makes your shot different. It makes, I mean, there's things that Contavious Caldwell Pope, for example, does with the ball, like just without Jokic even necessarily being like tangibly involved with the play. He KCP would not be allowed to do that stuff on a different basketball team. He he is able to do it precisely because of the like the gra- the gravity of Jokic, but also just like the confidence of knowing that that guy will like if I'm open, he's going to give me the ball, and if I cut to that spot, he's going to give me the ball, and if I if I like miss a sh- he's not going to like um like roll his eyes at me if I like take a shot and miss it or something like um. That that he that Jokic himself actually believes he's not the best player on the team. I mean, like, uh, I I get like sort of it, generally in sports. I hate this stuff. This like this like touchy feely stuff. It, it like drives me crazy, and I think it's nonsense. But he's kind of won me over. Like, um, I would love to see Tatum get there. I really think Tatum has it in him, and it just it's just like the way he reacts to pressure is is to is to to try to control too much. 
he's trying not to let his teammates down. He's trying to lift them up, but it 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 manifests as like an over like trying to control too much of the game. Do you have anything else that uh, you'd like to touch on here in this particular show? No, I think we'll save the Devin Booker versus Jason Tatum for next week because that Matt Moore had that going on today. Is that a debate? Good lord. I think it's a fascinating debate. I will say this, though. We did a lot of Nuggets talk on this show for a very particular reason, and I just hope people understand. This is the team the Celtics are gunning for. Like, this is the – this is Yes. The, and to – if you're going to make – like, every year you go in, like, our, like this team has to be – you're not going to win the title if you can't beat this team, right? Yeah. For a long time it was – you're not going to win the Super Bowl if you can't beat the Patriots. Like, you're going to have to figure out how to beat that team because they're just going to be there. And this is what it is with Denver. Like, you have to go into every season thinking, like, we have to be able to have a team that can beat Denver. Because if we can beat Denver, you can probably beat a lot of other teams. It's not like we're not thinking about the Bucks or the Heat or et cetera in this, at the same time. But if you don't have the answers for the Denver test, then you're not going to win anything. And that's why we spend so much time talking about Denver is because they're clearly the front runner and Boston is chasing them. And they have the talent to get there, as Seth said. But and, you- and you're supposed to steal from the team that won, right? Like you're supposed to mimic, like try to mimic what you can mimic. Right. They'll be tough, though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure they have the personnel for it, but we'll see. I, I, I mean, there's there's a reason we everyone calls Jokic a unicorn. There's you know there there is but one. I mean, he's dude is a generational all time great. He is uh, you know beyond words, but. Yeah, as as have well articulated. That's that's why it's you know you could make the Patriots comparison, or you could just you know look in the NBA over the last decade. It's whichever team LeBron was playing for, or the Warriors. Yeah, you know that's that's what it's been for a long time. And so, you know, I'm we're we're not going to sit here and get uh, honestly even and I, I I will sing a different tune if the Celtics are playing the Heat in the playoffs again because of just PTSD. Oh but God, don't even say it. <laughs> What what's that? Don't even say it. I know, I know. But but like I, I, I just I don't enter a season thinking about Miami. Now maybe I will change it like I'll I'll feel differently if Dame is traded there. But like right sure. now in the as as that roster is made up, I don't go into the year thinking about Miami. I don't go into the year thinking about Philly. You know, I, I, I wonder about injury concerns with Milwaukee. You know, it's you you gotta think about, you know, that team. And 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 I say this feeling that What's Celtics over under? I think it's 54 and a half, something like that. It's a I, lot. Could ver- I, I, I could very easily see them coming under that. Like that very easily. There, there could be, you know, regular season regression out of this team for sure. Doesn't mean that they'll fall short in the playoffs. though. these are two totally different animals. So we got a lot to cover, obviously in the, uh, in the weeks ahead, as we get closer to training camp and seeing, uh, you know, if any additions are made and if there are what they look like, we, we haven't even touched on the fact that Danilo Gallinari has the Celtics circled on his calendar. At least he will. Terrifying. The schedule is out. Re- revenge narrative is hot for, uh, for, for the uh, former huge Larry Bird fan. So uh, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting year, fun year, and a lot to come. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening, for uh, putting up with the uh, the growing lisp over the course of the show. Rate, review, subscribe to Celtics Beat. We greatly appreciate you. And uh, Seth, thanks for hopping on, buddy. Stick around for Invisalign chat. <laughs> Go nowhere. <laughs>
I'm going to break down the first two weeks and what you have <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Ev, catch you next time, bud.